Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Craig Pickett. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. As always, I'm uh, Craig Pickett. Once again, I'm here with uh, my good friend, Matt Johnson. What's Matt, up, everybody? My, uh, hey, Matt. Matt is my, uh, my producer, my good friend, a very talented artist and author and uh, all-around smart guy who uh, is a great guest to have on. He brings some, some, some unique perspectives to the, the podcast. And hmm. Matt, how are you doing out there? Uh, doing awesome. It's another beautiful day in San Diego. We've got some fun stuff to talk about. So, so I'm pumped to be back with you again. The last episode we did together was a blast. And we talked about some fun stuff about how to, uh, how to hire A-plus talent. And so we're going to go a little bit deeper on that, but from a different angle, right? Because you've had some interesting experiences over the, <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. So uh, we're going to talk about how, uh, why we shouldn't treat people as applicants, uh, what we can do about it if we're like in the executive position, right? So if you're in, if you're a candidate and you want to get a top flight position, how to how to you know handle that kind of situation? But then also from the corporate side of things, how do you build a hiring process that A plus players will actually go through and not be turned away? So let's talk. Let's start by setting this up a little bit. You know, there's a great there's a great. I, I read a great article. It was I, I can't remember where. I think it was on LinkedIn somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Or maybe Inc. Magazine. I'm a big fan of Inc. Magazine. And it was written by an executive, and he just said, the power of saying no. Okay. No, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> from, the, from the candidate's perspective? From, from, the, from any perspective. And it, okay. was, it, was, uh, it was like a company. Yeah, he was trying to sell something, and the client came in and said, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. And he said, no, I'm not doing it. Like, <laughs> okay. What do you mean you're not doing that? Everybody does that, I guess. I'm not everybody. Yeah. This is this is the way I do it, and I guarantee you, and I, and I guarantee you, you know, I guarantee you results. Yeah. And and I think you know, as a you know, as an executive, you know, you know, no matter what level in the food chain you are as an executive, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of power. You know, there's a lot of power in saying no. You yeah. Know, so. You know, when a company says, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do a video interview, and we're gonna send you this link," you got to answer five questions into your, you know, into your 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 your, your podcast camera, right, right, and send it back to us. And if we if we find a spark there, we'll we'll call you back. The answer is no. <laughs> That's right. The the Rock does not read into audition for movies. Um, so that so it's a little bit of that, right? So ma- maintaining control, maintaining kind of your your identity and thinking of yourself as an A plus player, and A plus players don't go through that kind of process. So what so what does the process look like? Like if you, if you're if you're a candidate, if you're an executive, and you're you know obviously in the position where you're either thinking about it or you're open to moving or something like that, and you're you kind of get a little bit into the process. What what should that look like? It to to indicate to you, oh, they're treating me like an A plus player versus a B or C player? Like, look, I think an A plus players are pretty well known in their industries. 
Mm-hmm. They've got a, you know, they've got a very good track record of achievements that they can rattle off. Like every good salesperson, you know, every good sales or business development person or profit and loss leader knows their numbers. If you ask a really good salesperson, how much did you sell in 2017? They will tell you right off the bat, you know, hey, look, my numbers are verifiable. I sold $20 million worth of stuff. I brought on 10 new customers and my margins were X. Right. That's an A. All of a sudden now that's a sales player, you know, the salesperson that you know, you're listening to. Here's a mm. guy that knows his numbers or a girl that knows her numbers. Mm. The B player will sit there and say, well, um, I don't know. I have to go back and look at my notes, but I think we sold, you know, <laughs> what's, what's the we? I didn't ask how much we sold. How right. much did you sell? Yeah. You know, we as a team could be, you know, 10 sales, you know, 10 salespeople on a team, hundred million dollars in a sale, you know, yeah. You know, take your Pareto principle, your top, your top two people did, you know, 60% of the volume, everybody else did whatever. Were you one of the top two or were you, were you, were you number one or number 10? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that right there automatically. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, the, you know, the top, you know, the A players know their numbers, mm-hmm. they know their achievements. They can rattle them off in a minute and they know what they're looking for next. You know, mm-hmm. the B players are sort of a little wishy-washy. They tend to dodge the questions. They really don't know either what they're looking for or what they've accomplished. Mm-hmm. And, so I think when that A player starts to, you know, poke his, you know, his or her head out, look for that new opportunity, maybe a recruiter calls him, maybe a company calls him directly and says, hey, look, we have this position. We'd like to talk to you about it. But then they go through this, quote, unquote, applicant process. You know, you're no longer an A player. You're just an applicant. Yeah. And, you know, you went from on top to, you know, in the middle of the dog pack. Um, well, it seems like that's happening more and more often, right? Because we're getting, for whatever, there's a lot of reasons, but companies are kind of using, whether it's outside firms, whether it's internal processes, they're using all these things to kind of screen people out in, in the, I guess, in the interest of just not wasting their time or whatever the case is. They're trying to put people through a certain funnel, right? Putting people through a certain process. But that automatically assumes that they're all the same, they're all going to comply, and that you're willing to come to terms with whoever pops out the other side of that funnel. What you're saying is that putting a funnel in front of them automatically probably turns off the, the cream of the crop. Okay. So by, by doing that, you're automatically whittling it down to you're, you're already only contending for the B and C players because those are the people that are willing to go through the process. That's pretty much it. I mean, it's yeah. a shotgun approach. Let's go take a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Let's go get a thousand resumes and we'll, we'll sift through them. And of the thousand resumes, we'll go find 50 of them, which look somewhat, you know, you know we'll do keyword searches or we'll do stupid, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll do these stupid things that we think work, mm-hmm. i.e., you know, keyword searches or, or what have you versus going, hey, wait a minute, where are we most likely to find this person? Well, mm-hmm. Maybe it's in a company that looks just like us. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need a new GM. Well, let's go see if there's a company out there with just like us who's got a director of operations who's willing to take the next step up. Yep. Or 
maybe we could just go poach one of their general managers, pay them a little bit more money and show them why the water's warmer over here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all of a sudden now, not only are you going, all right, we're going to go take a shot or a, a, a rifle approach and find the A players in our network and in our industry. You're also building your relationships with customers or you know, competitors or other executives and mm-hmm. showing them a process versus sort of turning them off with, you know, some sort of scatterbrain, you know, <laughs> let's, get talk, let's get talk to everybody. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where, because I have a friend of mine that runs this system. You mentioned, uh, you know, send, send them a link where they have to answer some questions on video and things like that. And I understand it from the perspective of the person doing the hiring. Is it nice to be able to automatically and very, very quickly screen out the people who aren't good or aren't a good fit? Because that this and this is all based on the assumption that 90% of the people that come through that funnel are not going to be a good fit, which if you take a shotgun approach, that's true. But it's because it starts with the shotgun approach, right? It starts with putting it out into the market and accepting a bunch of different applicants and kind of putting it out there in a way that gets a whole bunch of people into the funnel. And then, yes, you have to do things like that to whittle and down. Now, in the case of my friend, he's going direct to, like he's hiring entry-level people. This is not his process for hiring a VP-level person. Right. He's, you're hiring entry-level people. And so I think they're, what their mistake is, is they're looking at that process going, hey, that, that works really awesome for hiring lower level people, we should do the same thing at the executive level. Well, that doesn't work, right? It's just doesn't, at all. doesn't apply. No. Two different ballgames. It's just two, like, it's just, it's, you're, you're playing two different games, essentially. How you hire a great salesperson or how you hire a great general manager or CFO or CEO is completely different than how you hire a entry level or early level executive. Yeah. Um, you know, a good case in point of, you know, a friend of mine was looking for a you know, really good sales executive. Mm-hmm. And he looked at one of his buddies and said, you know, you'd be a really good sales executive. And his buddy said, you know, I'm, I'm really not. I'm not that gregarious. I'm really not that gregarious, you know, glad handing, you know, portrait of what a salesperson is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, what are you? He goes, you buy it. Do you buy a lot of stuff? It was bio. It was, it was in the biomed mm-hmm. industry. He goes, do you buy a lot of stuff? He goes, yeah, I, I buy a lot of stuff. You know, he was kind of a supply chain procurement guy. Mm-hmm. He says, yeah, I buy a lot of stuff. He says, now when you buy stuff, do you buy it from the guy who comes in, who's glad handing you and slapping <laughs> you on the back and <laughs> high energy dude, just trying to, you know, uh-huh. Hey, you need to buy our stuff, or do you buy it from the you buy it from the expert who walks you through the process and kind of helps you you know, get to where you need to be? He goes, well, kind of buy it from the guy who's willing to spend more time with me and show me the value and yeah. other stuff. He says, so what makes you think you wouldn't be a good sales guy? It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good, a very good line of questioning. So now, if you took that guy and just said, hey, look, we're going to throw you on a camera. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he's got a maybe he's got a you know. I don't want to say a low energy personality, but maybe he's got a a methodical personality where he thinks about things. Yep. And he might be an outstanding, maybe just doesn't show well on camera. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you eliminating the process? Are you eliminating him for a reason that is? Yeah, that that's an interesting one, especially the camera thing. That's an interesting one because a phone interview is one thing. 
right? right. You, you know, versus an in-person sit down, you know, grab dinner kind of thing, right? Uh, a camera, especially a web, like forcing someone to go through a link and click on, a, you know, open up their webcam. That, that's a lot to ask. And because I know, because my buddy is hiring people in their late teens, early 20s for like entry-level marketing positions using that method. It's a lot to ask people in their early 20s to hop on something like that and jump on and, and be professional, engaging, and get the technology right, right? So that they actually do what, what you're asking them to do and, and come across well on camera. It's a lot to ask somebody who isn't comfortable with the technology, number one, and has never been in that position in their life, doesn't use, probably is not, you know, Snapchatting every day, probably is not using their phone as a camera, like people under, you know, my age and under, like we use our phone almost primarily as a, as a camera that like, it's no big deal. It's becoming no big deal to that generation. So yeah. that, that may change and that may shift over the next 20 years to the, where we may become more comfortable with that or, or initial meetings may take place on zoom, you know, more often versus in person or on the phone, but it's not that way now. And you're definitely eliminating people who might be incredibly exceptional, a plus player executives who are just not comfortable and will not come across well on a webcam. It's, it's just so not a great fit for that market. I think one really good, I think, look, no matter what level you're hiring, real good, you know, look, achievers achieve. Mm-hmm. Unachievers don't achieve. And it's a very simple question. You know, let's just, you know, let's just ask, you know, get on the phone and you talk to somebody and go, I don't care how old you are. Say, so what have you achieved? Mm-hmm. You know? 22-year-old might say, well, I paid for my own college. I made straight A's. Yep. Um, you know, I you know, I did X, Y, and Z, and now I'm ready to, to do it. Okay. You know, now, you know, now you've got somebody with a track record of achievement. You take somebody yeah. in their 30s, you say, hey, look, during my 20s, I went to work for Acme Corporation. Um, you know, I caught, I, I caught 10 roadrunners. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I I grew my territory or, 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 yeah, there's something, uh, there's something there and you, and and they're able to, they're able to walk you through a process and say, look, here's what I achieved. Here's why I'm proud of it. Here's the, here's how I can prove I did it. And, you know, what I want is something that takes me to the next level. Mm -hmm. My current company, Hey, look. You know, you know, maybe my, bo- you know, I want my boss's job, but he ain't going. So mm-hmm. I need something. I need to go somewhere else where I can grow a little bit, or I'm just looking for something different, but I have a track record of achievement. Yeah. So what is it about, about the, uh, like we were talking before we kind of hit record, we are talking a little bit about the difference in the hiring processes between small and large companies and just how much of a massive difference there often is when you go to hire someone or recruit someone to go work for a larger company, the process ends up being very, very different. And then they throw up interesting little, sometimes it's the webcam interview, sometimes it's another person or five other people being involved. You know, we talked last time that sometimes it's they got to meet with 17 different people before they get approved and all this stuff. Um, what it really gets down to, as you mentioned, it's, it's uncertainty. What, what do you think is kind of behind that? And what, why are larger companies building so much uncertainty into the hiring process? Yeah, I think it comes to this. I think smaller companies, are looking for the person to hire. They're like, yeah, they're hoping that the next person that walks through the door is it. Like, 
you know, maybe they have limited funds to you know, travel you know, for people to travel in to, to interview, yeah. or yeah. maybe they're just growing so fast that they're like, man, we need this general manager. We need this director of operations to, you know, you know get rid of some of this backlog. Mm-hmm. They're hoping the next person that walks through the door is absolutely it. And big companies, they're screening out. You know, they're screening. They're, 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 the default, they're, the default is no, right? Basically, the default, the default is, setting is different. The, the, the default in smaller companies is yes. Mm-hmm. So you prove to us no. In big companies, it's no <laughs> until you, you know, until we get a consensus. Yeah, that is yes. Okay. And I will tell you, inevitably, small companies hire better than big companies. Mm. hire more agile people more energetic people more capable people you know i think big companies tend to focus on people who will just fit into their system versus the athlete yeah there's a there's a great line um it was in a book here i was reading just here the other day and it was in um you know a different context but essentially they said something you know uh growing a business is, is very similar to to the military to warfare usually one bold stroke. You find one bold stroke. If you can find that, it's very hard to find, but there's usually one key strategic move that is the right move out of a bunch of wrong moves. Uh, and they said nobody ever got fired for the bold move they didn't make. And that's why, that's why those types of executives get hired at bigger firms because it's the people that are, they're, they're looking for, that they themselves are not willing to not necessarily make a bold move in terms of who they choose. And they're also afraid of people who want to come in and make bold moves because not only is the, you know, whoever recommends them, whoever brings them in, whoever is kind of pegged with the responsibility of hiring that person is then therefore accountable for all the things that they do and suggest and push and all the strategic decisions they make. So it's, uh, yeah, just the whole, the whole system seems to be kind of rigged against bringing somebody in that's going to make a bold move. But in the end, it's usually that bold move that ends up being the one right thing. Right. And, and it's all about, you know, once again, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in, you know, so I, you know, my early career was military. So I spent mm-hmm. eight years in the military. And the first thing you're drilled down as an officer in the Navy is accountability, authority, and responsibility. Mm-hmm. If you have the accountability, if you're accountable for it, you are responsible for it. Thus, you have the authority to do the actions that are needed to make it, you know, to get it done. Right. So if you go into a big company, mm-hmm. some big companies or GEs are, you know, is, is, is struggling mighty right now. And you say, okay, well, we want to break individual profit and loss, you know, vehicles. You know, okay, who's, who owns the profit and loss? Well, it's, it's, it's Joe. All okay. right, well, now Joe, he's responsible for the numbers. Mm-hmm. He now has the authority to pick his team. Mm-hmm. And he's responsible to make sure it gets done right. Joe? Have at it. Now, I was going to say that that can't actually be how it works. Usually, that's the point where they go, "Well, we're you're you're accountable for the profit and loss, but we're also we're going to spend the next two years meddling in who you hire and not really allow you to build oh, yeah. the team oh, out and set the strategy." And yeah. Oh, but before we hire this person, you got to go meet you know, Susie over in purchasing, and you got to right. go meet Fred over there, and it's and, and once again. It comes down to like the last podcast we did, you know, mm-hmm. getting five people to agree on lunch is, is definitely impossible. <laughs> How you get people to agree on who to hire yeah. is, is, is the right thing. But, you know, but I think from a, you know, we we're, we we're sort of talking about from a, you know, from a, an executive standpoint, from a personal standpoint, you look at a mm-hmm. process and you say, look, 
you know, once again, Acme Corporation, you know, they've, they've got somehow or another, they got my resume and they want me to put, they want, they want me to, to go through this process. Mm -hmm. If I go through this process, how do I feel at the end of it? You Mm. know, vice presidents want to talk to vice presidents and presidents. Yeah. Directors want to talk to directors, vice presidents, and presidents. The minute you put a manager or less than a manager into a hiring process for a vice president or a director, you know, all of a sudden now the, the guy's question is heading, well, why am I being interviewed by, you know, a low-level mm-hmm. employee? And you're mm-hmm. going, that, does that make me look good as an executive? No, yeah. it yeah. doesn't. It means you're willing to be interviewed by a, <laughs> Manage, you know, by a manager or a low-level employee, right? Who has no clue whether you're qualified for anything, right? Because they just haven't been at that level yet. Yeah. So, I think that's and it's all in an effort to gain consensus within within the larger organizations, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and then once again, that's sort of that's one way to root out, you know, from a company standpoint, that's one way to root out A players and B players. And B players will take anything. Mm. A players, if they don't get what they want, you know, will kind of walk away. Unless yeah. it's such a, you know, hey, look, it may be 80% of what they want with with an, with an a great opportunity for, you know, for us. Yeah, yeah but you, you wrote something recently about the fact that we're kind of at, we're pretty close to full employment. And, and so the climate, I think, has changed. And I, and I don't know that the expectations around it has, has really matched because um, we're not, this is not 2008, 2009, right? There's not a bunch of executives running around. There's not a lot of super highly qualified people who just lost their, lost their jobs, got laid off, who are now, you know, looking for any and every opportunity they can. But it seems like employers maybe still have a little bit of that mentality that they can be, they can be the choosers when really at this point it's flipped. It's, uh, it's the executives doing the choosing. Well, the, the, um, the, uh, the deal is this, is everybody always asks me how my business is. Mm-hmm. And at the height of the Great Recession, 2010, 11, 12, it was great. And why was it great? Because companies were really struggling. And they're like, look, find me one person who can do the job of three. Find me one wow. superstar. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, and I'm trying to think, Roger Wolf was the guy's name, CEO of Decrane Holdings. He said, find me somebody who can make me a lot of money or save me a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I will hire him today. Hmm. Everybody else is overhead. <laughs> that is a great, that's a very powerful, that, like that's an exponential question. Who is the person right now that can make me a lot of money or save me a lot of money? Yeah. And so, so when you think about, and when times are bad, companies need to be looking out for that really strong player who can get them through the bad times. Mm-hmm. Because that's what, you know, that's when, you know, you, you, you know, look, hard times weed out a lot of bad habits. Right. You know, expensive, you know, expensive dinners, first class seats. You know, when times are good and you fly first class to Europe or business class, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. When times are bad, you know, hey, look, that extra three grand you spent on that airplane ticket, yep. you know, that hurts. So, you know, during really, really good times, companies will hire BC players sometimes just to get 
there. You know, hey, look, we got so much work going on. We got to, yeah. we, we just throw bodies at the problem. Yep. But when times are bad, all of a sudden now the, the herd gets thin. You know, I sort of take it on a, a different level. I'm like, hey, look, if you're a, if your business is really, really good, you always need to be off. You, you always need to be on the hunt for a players. I mean, you know, my mm-hmm. gosh, the Celtics are always looking for the next Larry Bird or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, the Lakers were, you know, obviously we're looking in it to win it. Yeah. They're, they're in it to win it. They're mm-hmm. always hunting for good players. Mm-hmm. And when they see them, they'll hire them. And quite frankly, they'll find a B player and or two. And they'll make room for the A player. It's an interesting analogy, though, because I think uh, for whatever reason, we don't approach it like sports. And me being such a big sports fan, it, it, it's helped because I, I love football coaches and have read a bunch of books about football coaches and stuff. And yeah, it, I think it makes a difference. But in basketball is even an extreme example because you've got, you know, five starters and I think 11 people total. Like it just every single person has to count. Every single person has to do a specific role and, and do a specific thing around the superstar. Like there, like there's a way that basketball teams are constructed, and because of the constraint on the number of people, it's understood that obviously you're trying to get the most talented, at least in specific areas, the most talented people in the, and to fill each of those slots. It's it's interesting because I think in business we lose sight of that because we don't think of it as I have to field the same team of eleven players month after month after month like for the up- upcoming season, my job is to get the 11 best players on my team that I can rotate in and out. Um, I think we tend to think of it more as this is a group of people that is theoretically expandable, like that there's room for B and C players because, well, we'll just hire the next person that we hire and we're growing or there's always somebody else that we can hire. I don't think we think of it quite that, that way as like the, the limited slots to fill and each one of those slots, that person better be carrying their weight. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it, that is exactly, you know, the sports team analogy to me, is, and, and, and a lot of people are like, look, enough with the sports team analogies. But I'm like, hey, look, it's, it, it, it's competition, people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's competition. Or, you know, the other thing is the, you know, the, you know, the Navy SEALs, you know, or the, the Special Forces. You know, everyone, you know, you get a team of 12, everybody's got to carry their weight. Mm-hmm. If, you know, yeah. If, if one person falls, that makes 11 that got to carry the whole weight, that got to carry the weight. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, you, you don't have a lot of room. So you continually have to be finding the people that are going to fit in that organization in the way it needs to be. And quite frankly, look, I'm not a big fan of, you know, I'm not a big fan of you know, firing people or whatever. Right. But at the end of the day, it's competition. And if yeah. you find people that can, you know, if you find one person who can save you three, you know, $3 million and you don't have room to bring them on board, figure out a way. <laughs> be, right. Look, that may be his business. Yeah. That may be telling two or three people to polish your resume up to go find a, another job. Mm-hmm. But what was really interesting is during 2010, I think it was early 2010 or maybe early 2011, Mm -hmm. you know, when things were still pretty bleak, I lost three searches in a row because executives had multiple offers. You're talking about a CFO, you know, you've got him an offer and he's like, Hey, look, you got to up the tape. You got up the ante Mm -hmm. because 
I got two other offers this week. Yes. Yes. I am that good. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, he didn't do a phone. He didn't do a, some sort of video interview video answering yeah and and this is what this is what's so interesting about about business is just how often egos egos get involved because that shouldn't be like that that can trigger a lot of well we're not gonna you know you shouldn't you shouldn't need a like a like a you know we're not going to compete we're not going to auction when this is not an auction for you to to come work here like we are the company like you, you come and you supplicate and maybe we'll deign to allow you to work here. Um, so you get that, the, the situation where it's flipped and there's multiple offers for the right people. And yeah, it's very easy to kind of pull back from that. But there's, I mean, all that is, is just ego. I mean, it's simple, just supply and demand economics is going to flip. And the next time it'll be the person that needs you more than you need them. And that's fine. Uh, right. that, that shifts with the economy, but it like, it shouldn't be an ego thing. There shouldn't, they just like, there really is no place for it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how often stuff like that crops up yeah no it's uh, you, you know look and it's like i said it's good at you know you know behavior you know good at economic times you know versus bad economic times and mm-hmm. you know, how people are you know you know how employees are engaged or treated it's 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 uh you know it, it it ebbs and flows with the with the economy but i think you know at the, at the same time from a personal standpoint you know, I think every person out there is responsible for themselves. And yes. they ultimately look, if they're an A player, they need to be doing everything necessary to prove they're an A player, be it thought leadership, you know, yep. putting out article putting out articles on you know LinkedIn or social media or contributing to trade mags or whatever. You know, they put themselves out, you know, I'm an A player, here's why. You know, they need, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, um, you know, they're not looking out there for themselves. They're, they're thinking that, Hey, look, if I do a good job, the company will take care of me. Well, no, nope. no, not, you know, well, not new. It's never really true, but it's really not true now. Um, it, it took a long time for the tide to kind of wash out and, and reveal everyone that had that misconception. And uh, it's funny cause you, I was going to ask you to, to end on something really, practical and tactical and you beat me to it because it's it really is that thought leadership strategy and you've been blogging for a year like well before we started working on the podcast together you've been blogging and writing and and writing really like high quality really thoughtful stuff on where the industry is headed and that takes extra time right that's on top of what you're doing the actual work of what you do and so we get that like being a thought leader positioning yourself as a thought leader does take some extra time to share what you're what you're doing what you're learning and what you know. And that, that's as simple as thought leadership is, those three things. Uh, so it does take some extra time. But I was thinking about this when we were in the lead up to us recording together. You know, what's there's absolutely a ton of value in being an A plus player. The problem is if you're an A plus player that nobody knows about, are you really an A plus player? You may be in the sense of what your execution level and your potential to lead a part of the organization. But if, if you are not known as an A player, you won't command in the market the, ter- the price and terms that you want for what you do. And that's just, that's just simple. Again, going back to simple economics, if people don't know you, if they don't know that you're an A player, they're not going to fork over the money and they're not going to make the terms. They're, they're, they're just not going to meet your demands. Uh, and so that the thought leadership strategy of sharing what you're doing, learning, and know 
uh, is the way to me, it's, it's the way that we all have to get there. I mean, that's kind of the new reality that we live on is if we, if we refuse to do that, if we refuse to take kind of a thought leadership position, we may be an A plus player, but we may never get paid like it. The, the world has no room for it. There's no, there, there's very little room in the world, in my opinion, or at least in the business world for wallflowers. Mm. You know, the, the, you know, every company has somebody that constantly delivers and, 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 you know, they, they get the work done, they do quality work, they get it on time, but they don't know, they either don't promote themselves because they think everybody else will, you know, by the, because the quality of their work speaks for itself speaks for itself. I don't believe that's to be the case because there's so many yeah. people with their own self-interest in mind. They're happy to give the A players the work and not give them the credit. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to look, personal responsibility, A players need to show that they are A players a players don't go through B processes to find A jobs. Mm. And that's, it's, it's kind of, you are, you are how you act. Yep. And, you know, if you're willing to submit yourself to a bunch of demeaning, you know, large corporate processes, then you're the guy who's just willing to go through the bullshit to, you know, get somewhere. Yeah. But there's so many people. And you'll get a B offer. Yeah. yeah. And you get a B offer. Because hey, look, we, yeah, that's that's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a lot of yeah. I think what it all comes down to is the A players know their numbers. They take personal responsibility to make sure that their work, and their caliber, and their quality gets gets out there. And you know they 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 understand how to put themselves out there to a marketplace that will respect you know, everything that they can bring to the table. Yeah. So, well, that's a great good. note to end on because I can't say anything better that will eclipse that. Um, so speaking of the uh, the blog that you write and, and the stuff that you're putting out there, where can people find that? Uh, LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. Hmm. And northstaresg.com is my website. And all the blogs go up on the uh, the website, as do the podcasts and obviously yep. in iTunes too. That's right. Yeah, I was going to say on on iTunes, on Stitcher, if you're a a Google Android user, uh, just make sure to leave a rating and a review. So if you guys enjoy the show, um, if you guys enjoyed a particular guest of the show, you've had some amazing guests as well from the industry. Uh, If there was a particular guest that stood out to you guys, make sure to mention that in the review so that we can pass that along to them and thank them for coming on to the show. Um, But yeah, this has been awesome as always. A lot of fun. So make sure to to, uh, to check out the blog, the podcast, all that good stuff. And uh, I know next time you've got some great guests coming up. So we will, uh, I'm going to get out of the way and let, uh, let them take the, uh, take the show back. Thanks for being here once again, Matt. <laughs> Thanks, Appreciate Greg. it.